And I was overcome by this profound sense of the love of God that every fiber of my being always hopes for, but you, when it hits you, you just, you're like, it's this little ecstatic, infused moment of grace. And it shattered me because in the same moment, that love bore down upon me in a beautiful, tender, not nothing forced kind of way. And I was struck to the heart at how often I've squandered that love. Welcome to the Breakthrough of Grace podcast, a place where we share the stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. We invite you to join us as our speakers talk about their journey towards living lives of rich Christian authenticity to encourage and inspire each one of us. We are thankful you're here and taking this time to spend with us. Welcome, friends. My name is Joe Shelkevich. This episode you're about to hear features a talk by Simon Kine entitled, He Came to Show Us the Father on the Topic of Lent. I invite you to go back with us to the beginning of Lent 2020. Wow, what an important time for all of us, uh, but particularly for us practicing Catholics. Ash Wednesday was February 26th, and we all, we all know what happened beginning in March. And we recorded this the first Friday in March, and unbeknownst to us, you know, the chaos that was about to ensue um, wasn't present in our hearts. And in this particular talk, uh, my friend Simon Kine, in his eloquent way, really explores uh, Jesus's purpose in showing us the Father, and how important was it for us, and is it for us to know that Father that created us, and the beauty with which he brings good out of the challenges that we experience. Simon's talk was recorded during a monthly prayer meeting held at a parish in Southern California. We hope this blesses you as much as it did us. My talk is called, He Came to Show Us the Father. And I want to start by telling a story. And it was the spring of 94. I was in college. I took a year off of my college career in order to serve the Catholic Church in traveling youth and young adult ministry, traveling with a missionary and ministry team from up and down the West Coast in the United States and Canada. Primarily working with youth and young adults, not necessarily exclusively youth and young adults, but it was a time where we were evangelizing, we were catechizing, we were challenging these young people, ourselves included, to live out the call of the gospel and encourage and invite others to do likewise. And as I look back on that missionary year, it was one of great spiritual impact. Certainly through us, young people's hearts were turned and conversions occurred. But also, um, we kind of felt like we were living as, as missionaries, as ministry folks living in community, as if it was a bit of an Acts of the Apostles type experience, just this young church experience. And our leadership, as well as the priests we serve with, um, just encouraged us be ever vigilant daily for the Holy Spirit to show up, for remarkable things by the power of God to occur in us, through us, around us, whether it be through the sacraments, whether it be through literal miracles that we witnessed, beautiful manifestations of the grace and the gift of God, just encounters in prayer, encounters in breakthrough and conversion. It was incredibly rich and fulfilling work. It was hard work, but good work. Um, and I would describe it this way. Matthew 13 says, Oh, that you would have eyes to see with and ears to hear with. And I felt like for that missionary year, that little charism settled on us as, as missionaries, as college kids trying to leaven and, and, and work amidst the flock in the vineyard. And C.S. Lewis, I love these words, he describes, you know, beautifully and mysteriously, things may not be as they seem. And so it was... We were late into our missionary year. We were well into the cadence of operating as a team, as operating out of these gifts. We had um, not the program of the ministry down, but certainly um, we, just, we, were, we were operating in unity. And we had this little chunk of free time. We had to travel from city A to city B, but the drive was going to be several hours. We had about a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, excuse me, Sunday afternoon, just to kind of do something. We weren't in our home um, city. So we went and visited with some friends of one of our teammates in that 
area that we were uh, doing missionary work. And it turned out it was a Lebanese Maronite Catholic church. And if you know the Maronites, they're the Greek Lebanese Catholic Christians of Lebanon. They're the primary church, Catholic church in Lebanon. They're Orthodox, not only in their theology, but also in union with Rome. Um, but they're Byzantine, okay? They are of their own Maronite, beautiful rite. Many of the uh, forebears of that community here in the United States came to this country because they were driven out through the persecution of the Christians that's been going on for centuries. We went to this parish. The parish priest is the friend, and I got to tell you guys, I've met few mystics in my life. But this monk, this Maronite beautiful priest, was definitely one of them. And we sat in his living room in the priest's residence, and he inquired of us, he probed of us, he taught us. It was this sort of holy yet easy conversation. And you could tell he was just pushing gently, and then he would speak into that. And so, yes, it was conversation, yes, it was hangout time, yes, it was free time, but it felt like God was sort of filling our tanks, if you will, having given of ourselves over that weekend of the young people in the area. And he had specific words for each of us, as just a guy who knows God really, really well, can only can. We get up to leave, we have to head on our way and, and start the journey to the next city, and we're gathering our things in kind of the foyer or, or threshold of his house, and there's this huge bowl. I mean, it looks like a giant clear fruit bowl full of holy water. And he elaborately blesses each of us as individuals with holy water in the Byzantine style. And then as we're turning to leave, if this is the door, right adjacent to it is this large framed print. And top to bottom, left to right, almost to the margins or borders of the framing of this print is this heavily stylized Arabic writing, or what looked like Arabic. And we just paused and we're like, what is that? And he began to speak not in Arabic, but in Aramaic, an older language that 99% of theologians agree was the native tongue of our blessed Lord himself. And the words in Aramaic he began to speak were the none other than the words of the Our Father, that Jesus himself would have used the same words, the same syllables, to speak those and teach those to the apostles. And it was like we were suddenly gathered up and hearing from the Lord himself as the priest prayed over and on and through and ushered us out to the world. As I like to say, the veil got way thin. <laughs> so this morning, it's the third Friday of Lent. We're on our way. We've kind of set our faces towards Good Friday. Um, we've, we've been dispatched from, from Ash Wednesday. Um, and this Lent thing, it's interesting, right? Formally, the church says it's a time of prayer, it's a time of fasting, it's a time of almsgiving, and that's wonderful. Um, and sort of the call within the call is to generously respond as individuals, as believers, to what Christ says. And these are from uh, words from Matthew 16. Whoever wants to be my disciple, may they deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And I admit, I stand back from those words and they kind of freeze me because there are good days and there are not so good days. Um, a friend of mine who is also a Catholic speaker and has given his life to not only missionary work but also to serve the church um, as a, as a uh, just a great teacher, um, he says, man, Catholics, it's like St. Patrick's Day. We own St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, we own Lent. I mean, we know how to do Lent, right? And it's true. I mean, there's something deeply, authentically Catholic about Lent and the prescriptions which accompany it. But even as I think about, if you will, Lent the standard, Lent the calling, Lent the opportunity, I got to tell you, as I survey the many Lents that I've lived through and walked through and journeyed through, it's been a bit of a mixed picture. There's some Lents where it's daily grinding, chipping away at it, making the effort, putting in the time, putting in the reps, the various spiritual exercises and, and, and if you will, output to respond to what the church has me uh, uh, or, or is, at least as the church is speaking, how that lands on me and lands on my life. There's other lands where I can tell in my prayer God's calling me. 
it's a stretch. And there's a big part of me that says, I'd rather not stretch. I, I kind of like it over here. God says, no, 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 keep going. And when I pass through the threshold of that fear and go on to the other side of that, I mean, just the rich graces, the beautiful, um, just lavish gift of God that comes from our little yes, where he responds with his giant yes, those lengths have been remarkable, remarkable. There's other lengths, though, I got to tell you guys, and this is in full humility. Um, it's been one where I've kind of vacillated. I've kind of coasted. I've tried to do the little bit that I could, quote unquote, get away with and through a scarcity model, not out of a generosity model. I've wasted those opportunities of Lent. And I look back on those times with regret, and I will repent of those, and I continue to. There are times where my immaturity, um, if you will, drove the bus versus my desire for the things of God, my desire for the things of the kingdom. You know, as I categorize these lengths, and especially this last category, the, the, the missed opportunity lengths, you know, I, I just, I think about this Lent, and okay, it's a fresh new year, a fresh new opportunity. And whether the lengths that we've traveled through, and we've traveled through those well, or we've traveled through them quote-unquote poorly, you know, each Lent will without fail lead to one thing, and that is to the cross. It's unavoidable, it's inevitable, it is the purpose of the journey. And so I just want to spend some time talking about Lent today, and I hope you leave today with a bit of encouragement, um, less of the feeling like it's a grind, more of a feeling like this is an opportunity, it is something that God has for you, particularly individually, specifically. St. Teresa of Avila, let's sit, lay down some guardrails here. She says in her Divine Ascent, um, the Interior Castle, don't compare. Don't compare. And I think as Western rational individuals, it's easy to compare. We want to get the playbook and the tape series and race out there and sort of index ourselves against some sort of arbitrary scorecard. I just want to set that at rest, okay? I pray you don't leave here today feeling like you're not done enough. I pray that you don't leave here today feeling like somebody next to you was working harder at their Lent than your Lent. I pray that you don't leave here today out of a sense of smug pride that somehow your Lent's going really, really well and you can tell others maybe not so well. Set that aside. No comparison. Let's just settle on one question. And this is really important. This is where I think some of the wellspring of life can be found. Why make the effort? Why make the effort. Why make the effort this Lent? The church in her wisdom at the beginning of Lent will take us through one of the gospel narratives of the temptations of Jesus himself. And it's interesting just as a piece of biblical exegesis, in Luke's gospel it's chapter 4. In Matthew's gospel it's chapter 4. There's some really important indexing going on around this temptation and having to go through the narrative. And you guys probably know the scriptures well, but just to back up, just a pinch, just before we go into the desert with Jesus, Jesus has gone to Nazareth, he's asked for the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he's then spoken the Isaiah 61, I think it is, prophecy, that he will set captives free and bind up the brokenhearted in these words are fulfilled in your hearing. It's one of the extra tingly parts of the scriptures. And Jesus is sort of kind of challenging his audience, you know, and even the, Naz the, the, the fellow Nazareans were like, does this guy know who he is? He's the son of Joseph. What, how's he saying he's the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah? So Jesus fulfills or tells the mission for which he came, and then the Spirit drove him out into the desert he returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Pause. He was full of the Holy Spirit. God, therefore, intended to go into the wilderness. What's about to unfold, he knew as the omnipotent Son of God what was going to play out here. He didn't avoid it. He purposely, if you will, went into the desert to be obedient to the Father, but also to contend with this enemy that he was going to, uh, going to confront. So then unpacking the temptations themselves, I won't read the whole narrative, I just want to settle on how does the enemy get his assaults in? This is the first temptation. And the devil said to him, 
This is, uh, this is Luke. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. That's the first temptation. The second temptation, and the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain in its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Interesting, the enemy cannot give what he does not have. And he sets Jesus in front of all these kingdoms of the world and says, I can give this to you, just worship me. And then the third one, and he led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. So you've got the bread, you've got the temptation to honor the enemy over God honoring um, the Father, and then this if you will, temptation to prestige, throw yourself down from the temple because the angels are going to bear you up. So I just want to unpack this slightly and lay down some groundwork. The enemy uses the following words, this corrosive blasphemy, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. The enemy begins his assault. He hasn't even said, I want you to do this. Or here's what I'll do if you do this. He begins his assault by attacking the union, the connection, the relationship between Jesus' identity and that of the Father, this posture of sonship, if you are the Son of God. Second of all, Scripture scholars tell us if you look at the different temptations themselves, these are the um, sort of archetypical areas of fall or failure for the human race. You have pleasure in the body through the bread. You have... um, a power in terms of the authority of these kingdoms that the enemy offered to Jesus himself, and then this idea of honor or prestige, cast yourself down from the temple. These are all things which, in varying degree, the allurements of the world, the allurements of the enemy, seek to cause us to fall in one or more of those areas. St. Thomas Aquinas looked at the temptation, and he created through his brilliant mind a connection between how Jesus experienced the temptations and what Adam himself went through. Adam lost the garden and was driven into the wilderness because his failure in the midst of temptation. He fell. He abdicated his authority as son of the father in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus goes into the wilderness, experiences these temptations, and um, you know he doesn't actually use his divine authority to repudiate the enemy. He doesn't have a transfiguration moment and the enemy flees. He actually contends with the enemy with the law. In fact, scripture scholars tell us it's through Jesus' humanity, not his divine authority, that he repels the evil one. And so this brings us to a last observation of St. Thomas Aquinas. Jesus suffered these temptations to help us in overcoming them in his holy strength and therefore provides for us a model to overcome them. And then St. Thomas Aquinas concludes from St. Paul to the Hebrews, we have not a high priest who cannot have compassion or infirmities, but one tempted in all things as we are without sin. Jesus went into the desert, was tempted, but thrust off those temptations through invoking the law and showing us how to do likewise. And therefore, we have this great champion, this great model. Let that be an encouragement for you. As you go through your temptations of Lent, God walks with you. You are not alone in those. The enemy will try and convince you you're alone. You're not alone. Okay. So, these old ways of the enemy that are ancient ways and that he's had millennia to study human nature and figure out how to bring us down. How do we link this to Lent? I want to go back to the first observation from these temptations, the way the enemy assaults Jesus, if you are the Son of God. The enemy begins his assault by attacking the heart of Jesus' identity and his posture in the Father. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 538. This is what it says. The Gospels speak of a time of solitude for Jesus in the desert immediately after his baptism by John. And driven by the Spirit into the desert, Jesus remains there for 40 days without eating. He lives among wild beasts, and angels minister to him. At the end of this time, Satan tempts him three times, seeking to compromise 
his filial attitude towards God. I'll repeat that again. At the end of this time, so Jesus is quite tired from the fasting. He's quite given out by just the exertion of 40 days of prayer and silence in the desert. Satan tempts him three times, seeking to pull Jesus down from where he is and seeks to compromise his filial attitude towards God. The Catechism continues, Jesus rebuffs these attacks, which recapitulate the temptations of Adam in paradise and of Israel in the desert, and the devil leaves him until an opportune time. Just a sidebar, that opportune time, when you fast forward to the Calvary narratives, the enemy realizes his fatal mistake, that Jesus is about to expire and it's all going to unwind for the enemy, and he hurls this last final blasphemy at Jesus crucified, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Wow. The drama plays out, right? So, here's the key thrust of Lent. Yes, prayer. Absolutely. Yes, almsgiving. Yes, it's the wallet needs to reflect the diary of your life. Yes, taking on a practice of still more fervent devotion to God. But I'm trying to separate two things, kind of a legalism, you know. It's not about working off the extra pounds we gained at Christmas. It's not about some sort of newfound rigor of prayer and discipline. Yeah, okay, some of that. But there's this, there's this heart thing. There's this heart shift, right? My friends, Lent is about challenging our comfort zone to go deeper into the mystery of who God is, who he reveals himself to be, and to rebuke, to repent of, to repudiate all the ways in which we have through little sins or grave offenses or even just simple compromises, the laziness of life. We fall somewhere in the middle. And we ourselves have lost that filial attitude towards God. It's kind of a dichotomy. Some of it happens to us from without, whether it's the flesh of the enemy of the world. We experience that kind of undermining of who we are as sons and daughters. And Jesus says in Luke 19, I came to seek what was lost. This Lent is about recapturing something. Lent is a necessary yet noble pilgrimage to prepare us to celebrate the Triduum. So we need that invitation, but we also need God's grace to recover the belief in who God is to break down those areas of sin and come into right order and to come into alignment with his kingdom. It's a posture, not a performance. When you let that perspective, the shift of heart really settle, the giving up, the additional spiritual exercise and discipline loses this legalism, this moralism that can settle in. It becomes a turn towards the still, small voice of the Father. He coaxes us closer. He encourages us to take that risk and come back as children to the Heavenly Father in the manner similar to how the prodigal son returns to his father. Benedict XVI had a bit of an unenviable job. Who is the man that gets to succeed John Paul II as Pope? That's just that's a tough tough deal, man. And yet, the church in her wisdom and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the cardinals elected Cardinal Ratzinger to be Benedict XVI. And the first question you ask is, Benedict XVI, who's Benedict XVI? Absolutely, yes, exactly. He knew he was following one of the great, great popes of the entire history of the church. And you may remember the media and the cynics reacted with the sort of, oh, he's going to be this um, excoriator of the faithful. He's going to be this theological or theologian-based um, sort of disciplinarian, and his writing's going to be very kind of harsh. And It was such a misinterpretation of man, and again, an assault on his heart, poor man. And then he writes this beautiful encyclical, Deus Caritas Es, God is love. And I loved it. It was like so well played because it, it just it took the world by surprise, but beautifully so. And even just to stand back from that as an example, right? The enemy seeks to undermine our filial devotion to the Father. The enemy assaults the, the, the Pope himself through the media and the cynics and the non-believers. And then he just turns around and says, hey guys, God's love. 
God is love. We're good. Love that. Love that. Okay. So, similarly, the posture of Lent. We can sometimes involuntarily enter Lent expecting to be scolded by the Father. And trust me, for many of us, this category of Father, of Dad, of Abba, is clouded through our own life's experiences, through the fathers we've had, uh, the father we had, okay? And I, I, that's holy ground, and I honor that. Um, you can't... Um, grace, grace can complement those areas where that category has been wounded, and that's, that's part of a beautiful texture that Lent also surfaces. So, fast forward. So 2005, Benedict's elected. He writes, Deus Caritas Est. The world sort of says, hang on, wait a minute, this is not what we were expecting. Seven, eight years later... He's coming to the last days of his pontificate, and he chooses to vacate the seat of Peter and to become Pope Emeritus. Beautiful gesture of humility. He wrote some final words as Pope called A Message for Lent. And what's interesting is the helicopter left the Vatican City for Castel Gandolfo, his final act as a Pope as he left it was the 23rd of February, 2013. Ten days prior was Ash Wednesday. He knew, he, even if he knew in his soul he was writing these words, he knew he was leaving. And so these are some final words from a beautiful pope who succeeded John Paul II. Again, a man who knew God was love. And I just want to read some of these to honor the man, but also just to, to encourage us all. This is, this is Pope Benedict. Faith as gift and response causes us to know the truth of Christ as love incarnate and crucified, as full and a perfect obedience to the Father's will and infinite divine mercy towards neighbor. I get it. But Pope Benedict can be rather dense. We'll keep going. Faith implants in hearts and minds the firm conviction that only this love is able to conquer evil and death. Faith invites us to look towards the future with the virtue of hope in the confident expectation that the victory of Christ's love will come to its fullness. For its part, charity ushers us into the love of God manifested in Christ and joins us in a personal and existential way to the total and unconditional self-giving of Jesus to the Father and to his brothers and sisters. Here's the punchline. By filling our hearts with this love, the Holy Spirit makes us sharers in Jesus' filial devotion to God and fraternal devotion to every man. Jesus went out the desert, and the enemies seek to corrupt and break down his filial union to God, his identity as a son of God. You are traveling through this Lent, and whether during this Lent or in the weeks and months leading up to this Lent, the enemy has tried with great effort to do the same for you. And the Pope just says, hey guys, the Holy Spirit is offering offering you the same union to God that restores that union to the Father, reestablishes sonship or daughterhood, puts you back into an identity of of adoption in, in, uh, in God. So this idea of faith and charity, Pope Benedict links the two. In fact, he says, faith is only genuine if it's crowned with charity. By definition, the action of the Holy Spirit reverses what was lost by Adam's sin. It reaffirms our adoption as sons and daughters. And so Pope Benedict, a man who knew the times in which we live and still does, but also knew God all the more, he just underscores this fundamental point. Lent, properly understood, and properly seen is not about working away some burden, but about increasing our posture of yielding to the love of the Father and recovering in that some grace, some gift, some aspect of our sonship, our daughterhood, our identity in God. This is why Jesus said in the first words of the first gospel of the first chapter of Mark, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent but believe in the gospel. Or said differently, repent, but believe the good news. It goes together. The deeper story of Lent is about becoming. Becoming.
Henry Nouwen wrote a book called Return of the Prodigal Son. And it's a massive, beautiful, wonderful unpacking of the prodigal son story. It doesn't read like a theological treatise. It doesn't read like a scriptural exegesis. It reads like a letter of a fellow pilgrim who was, through God's grace, riveted and captivated by the parable of the prodigal son, also through Rembrandt's painting of the same, the return of the prodigal. If you have a need for some kind of nonfiction book to carry you through Lent, I just encourage it. It's little bits of gold on every page in that book. So Father Noun says the following, and this is about this, this posture shift which leads itself to a homecoming, this return to the heart of the Father. Father Noun says, now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. And I love um, Father Henry Nouwen because it's beautiful, it's invitational, it's graceful. There's this hospitality-esque thing to his writings. He just, he's really vulnerable and therefore allows you, encourages you as a reader to be vulnerable, but he doesn't undermine the truth. He doesn't water down the gospel. He concludes... Unlike a fairy tale, the parable provides no happy ending. Instead, it leaves us face to face with one of life's hardest spiritual choices, to trust or not to trust in God's all-forgiving love. It leaves us with one of life's hardest spiritual choices, to trust or not to trust in God's all-forgiving love. There's a lot of content there. I just want to start, I just want to pause and tell a story. I just want to relax and lighten it up a bit. So a year ago, I had the blessing of making my first pilgrimage to Rome, to the Eternal City. And it was a 10-day pilgrimage, uh, six or seven days in Rome, a few days in Assisi, some travel to and from the United States in there. And on Wednesday of midweek, the week we were there, it was Lent, we walked into St. Peter's Basilica for me the very first time. And you talk about homecoming. I have seen pictures, I have seen videos, I have seen books, I have, I have thought about this place, this great basilica. And I walk in and I felt like I was at home. I knew this place. And I can't explain it, guys. I'd never walked into St. Peter's before. And the other thing that was sort of, if this, I don't know if this will translate, I'm there with hundreds, thousands of people that are mingling through pilgrims and people of belief and non-belief and just, I mean, it's almost like all of the world is like Times Square, you know, kind of gathered in St. Peter's and you've got the gawkers and you've got the people of piety and you've got, you know, the saints and the heathen all. And yet it felt like it was for me. Like the experience was not diluted by all these individuals that were there. And some of them were the pilgrims that I was with. I mean, I, just, I was sharing this, and I'm serving the young people of the school that we were pilgriming with. But then we were given some time to pray, probably 45 minutes of just quiet mingle time, and the kids can go and do their thing, and the chaperones can go and do theirs. And I just drifted off to find a quiet corner to pray. And I was overcome by this profound sense of the love of God that every fiber of my being always hopes for, but you, when it hits you, you just, you're like, it's this little ecstatic, infused moment of grace. And it shattered me because in the same moment, that love bore down upon me in a beautiful, tender, not nothing forced kind of way. And I was struck to the heart at how often I've squandered that love. I've taken it for granted. I felt entitled to it. 
And, and beautifully, you know, St. Peter's will rope off sections where you can just find a quiet corner. And I just needed a quiet corner and just, just be, be stripped down by this, be, be opened, be exposed. And I just leaned in and I, it was painful. It was hard. Um, because it was a bit of what Henry Nouwen says, will you let yourself be found? Will you let yourself be loved? Will you let God enter in and ask the questions versus, oh, I got this. I can do that. I'm like knocking out these, you know, just checklist, checklist. God's like, I don't need your checklist. I need your heart. And I realized, thankfully, in that moment of grace and a little bit of clarity, I just needed to get to confession as quickly as possible. And how do you confess the sin of badly receiving and badly living out of the love of God? Well, I had to give it a try. And the confessionals are sort of dotted throughout St. Peter's. You know, it's a huge place, right? And the various languages of the confessor are indicated above. You know, you got the Polish and the Czechs and the Russians and da-da-da. English, okay, here goes nothing. I'm going to walk into this confessional, and either this priest is going to meet me in this moment, or I'm going to fall flat on my face trying, but, you know, God will somehow figure out the pieces and parts of that. I walk in, I stagger to my knees, I confess, and I just gave the priest this incredible, beautiful, holy thing on my heart, and the priest totally showed up. I mean, you talk about a grace of the priesthood and the grace of confession. God, God through that priest, knew exactly what to do, and he wasn't thrown off in the slightest. And I'm a mess. I mean, I'm just a mess. But I walked out of that confessional changed man. Happens every time, guys. And as I gathered up with my team, with my group, with my pilgrimage folks, and I'm leaving the place, and I'm just so grateful, so grateful. Walked out onto the piazza in front of um, St. Peter's itself, and the full moon is rising over Rome, a beautiful spring morning, spring night. Four weeks later, the full moon would rise. It would be Holy Thursday. God was just saying, hey, follow the light. Keep on the path, my friend. You're doing great. Just keep going. Well, it gets better, okay? Five days later on Sunday, this was our last day in Rome, I had a chance to be back in St. Peter's Basilica. And when you have that kind of incredible spiritual encounter, um, I just was really guarding against um, trying to evoke something similar, you know? Will it happen again? Can I see the movie one more time, you know? God doesn't do that. That same sense of gratitude, though, gratitude that God would give of himself to find me. Little, sinful, highly flawed me was just on my heart. And the tears came. And it was funny because being Sunday, I don't know why, just there was a bit more security, a bit more of the, the Italian Catholic ushers that want to kind of herd the masses and protect the quiet spaces. And I used my somewhat passable Italian to ask the usher if I could go through and find a place to pray. And he pulled the velvet rope aside and let me through. And I just, again, found a place. And I remember just sort of winding and wandering slowly, meditatively, prayerfully over to the right side of the church, which if I've got this right, I think is going to be the north side, the north transept. And I just had to drop to my knees and pray yet again. And again, it's beautiful. I mean, you can pray and have these moments of prayer, and there's not somebody around you for like 100 feet away. And yet, I mean, the church is huge. And then I look up. And if you know St. Peter's, there's these letters in gold banding that run the entire perimeter of the church. Blessed are to you, Simon Barjona, for it is not flesh and blood that is revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In Latin and Greek, those words, the scripture where Jesus, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that scripture of Jesus' response wraps the entire perimeter in seven-foot letters in Latin and Greek. I'm kneeling, and I'm a mess, but I'm just being held up by God, embraced by God, and I look up, and right above me in seven-foot letters, it says, Beatus S. Simon. Blessed are you, Simon.
And God just leans in and gently says, see, bro, I put it up there in seven-foot letters. <laughs> One of my hardest wounds is to know that I'm fathered. One of my deepest places of yearning and longing that needs to be spoken to daily is God plays for keeps and I'm one of his guys. And I didn't go into St. Peter's expecting to see that, looking for that moment, looking for that encounter, but I was looking for God. And God did something holy and huge and epic for my heart. That was a good Lent. So to bring this together, as you go through this Lent, I want to encourage you to think about your Lenten observances across three little, call them tests, little kind of checks. As you go through your Lenten observances, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, whatever God has you doing, acts of charity, do you feel seen? Do you feel known? Do you feel loved? At the heart of repudiating shame in your life, and the father of lies is also the father of shame, you deserve, and it is Christ's intention for you, and if you have any doubt, look at the cross. He desires for you worthiness and belonging. Worthiness and belonging. And the manifestations of that is being seen, being known, and being loved. As you go and do your charitable work, your prayer, etc., do so with the firm conviction that Abba is for you. He's on your side. He sees what you are doing. He blesses it. He knows your heart. He knows the place where your Lenten prayers come from. He also knows your Lenten distractions. God, God knows I have many. I'm supposed to have the day off today. I'm, I'm racing into work to continue to chip away at this thing called work. That's okay. God knows that. Most of all, he loves you. Be encouraged that even with a little gesture of Lenten piety, off with love, it, this has great power in the kingdom, guys. Lastly, be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. As I was praying for this talk, I want to speak to one last category of Lent. And it's to those of you in this room and those who will hear this talk recorded where you're in a position of Lent where Lent didn't begin for you on Ash Wednesday. It's been Lent for a long time. Where there's some contemplative call within the call and God's calling you deeper into his paschal sacrifice, his paschal mystery that you probably asked for or imagined, but nevertheless you're there. For you, I just want to pray this encouragement over you. In Luke chapter 7, it's the story of somebody known as the sinful woman who walks into Simon the Pharisee's house and begins to weep, and her tears fell on the feet of Christ. And she takes an alabaster jar of ointment and anoints his feet and just pours herself out in a posture of deep humility but also deep love of Jesus. I would suggest, even as painful, as difficult, as, as heavy the trial of that Lent you are in is, configure that, if you will, to the posture of the sinful woman. Not that you're sinful. I'm not putting an accusation out there. I'm just saying, render it, yield it, lay it at the feet of Jesus. And may Jesus then speak these words over you and repudiate the rule followers. Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet from the time I entered. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Be encouraged by that. And for the rest of us, maybe the Lent's not as uh, 
all-encompassing. It's just a beautiful time of growth and prayer and intimacy. For the rest of us, I just want to borrow from the preface of the Mass for Lent, and it says the following. And by participating in the mysteries by which they, us, have been reborn, this is the priest's words now, may they, may we, be led to the fullness of grace that you, O Father, bestow on your sons and daughters. May they be led to the fullness of grace that you bestow on your sons and daughters. I just want to wrap up. I'm going to pray here in a minute. To answer the question, why make the effort? He came to show us the Father. And may your Lent, my prayer is, may your Lent be just like the experience of us as young, exuberant, young Christian missionaries in the living room of that Maronite priest who were just hanging out and feeling kind of pushed on and probed on, yet filled by the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, the priest began to speak the words. And the Word of God became the Word of God. Some final words of Henry Nouwen before I pray. Home is the center of my being, where I can hear the voice that says, You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. The same voice that gave life to the first Adam and spoke to Jesus, the second Adam. The same voice that speaks to all the children of God and sets them free to live in the midst of a dark world while remaining in the light. I have heard that voice. Let's bow and pray. Jesus, we need you. And we pause on this the third Friday of Lent, and we just say, Lord, join us in this place in the desert. We confess our sins. We yield to you. We have fallen short of your glory. We need your mercy, your grace. We do, reno- we do know that we are dust, and unto dust we shall return. We repent, Lord, not to be better rule followers, but to be, be seekers of your heart, to be people after your heart and the heart of the Father. Help us to have that contrition of sin that doesn't leave us outside the house looking in, that, that brings us all the way into the heart of the Father. I pray for any way in which the enemy has sowed weeds among the wheat that we feel less than the Son of God that you've created us to be, less than the daughter of God that you have created us to be. I just repent, I rebuke, I renounce, I refuse, I reject those lies, those seeds of shame in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray the waters of our baptisms would bubble up and flow forth, that those waters of baptism would break the banks of the, the tight little boxes we put your love into, Jesus. That it would flow over us, wild and untamed, living water. I pray you would receive our offerings in this Lent, though they be little, though they be great, though they be somewhere in the middle. See the love with which they are offered and render them by offering them to the Father incorruptible. Transform our hearts, transform our minds. Give us what it is we need to hear right now. Give us your strength, O Jesus. Show us you as as individual, as model, Jesus, to overcome the, the lies, the deceptions, the seductions of the enemy. I'm just going to continue to pray in silence. just want the Holy Spirit to give you his words for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just be patient. God is with you. Let it come. No pressure.
We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. I pray you leave here encouraged. I pray you leave here aware that Abba is good, his heart is for you. At the start of this talk, I handed out a candle that's been blessed. And I want you to take this candle with you. Light it in times where the enemy seeks to question if you are the son, if you are the daughter. Light it in times when you just are at your utter end of need and you just need some external sign of the grace that abides within you. If Lent is maybe less exposing, less dramatic, hold on to it. And light it when they light the Easter candle on Easter Sunday night. May it join with the lights of heaven, as the exultant says, and radiate to the glory of God. You and each and every one of you are luminous beings. God bless you. Christ will soon be risen. Christ will soon yet again conquer death. May you partake well of that deserved feast on Easter and in the Paschal Tide to come. I just want to close with some final words of Pope Benedict. Ten days before that helicopter took him off into the, the next chapter of his life. Dear brothers and sisters, in the season of Lent, as we prepare to celebrate the event of the cross and resurrection, in which the love of God redeemed the world and shone its light upon history, I express my wish that all of you may spend this precious time rekindling your faith in Jesus Christ so as to enter with him into the dynamic love of the Father and for every brother and sister that we encounter in our lives. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. We're a small word of mouth movement. Can we ask you to share it with a friend? Please see our show notes and website for discussion questions and other resources. Until next time, may God bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.